Okay, now we're here to listen from the Lord. And uh, we come to the reading this morning. And this is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, and it's verses 20 to 32 we are looking at. And you will see that it is entitled, The Coming of the Kingdom of God. Okay, so let's read the Lord's Word. And it says this. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will, see, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and re be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. And now I'll invite Mark up to uh, share the Lord's with us. Let me just pray for you, Mark, before you start. Father, we thank you for Mark. We thank you for his journey through this church. And with you, Father, we see so much progression in him. And uh, we thank you for the work he's put into today's message, Father, so that we can learn from it and from you especially. And we ask you to bless him this morning. Amen. So, remember Lot's wife. If, like um, me, you struggle with memory verses, this is a good one, right? The joint second shortest. Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. So this is my second sermon. It's a privilege. And I'm conscious that um, this is the second time I've preached from Luke. The second time Jesus is being asked a question by a Pharisee. And the second time it's about the kingdom of God. Um, it won't always be like this, honestly. So I'd like to approach things in this way. We'll take a look at today's reading. We'll remind ourselves who Lot and his wife were. We'll work out what she did that we have to remember her. And we'll finish by thinking about what this means for us. So let's take a quick look at today's reading. What's it about? Jesus is asked when the kingdom of God would come. But remember, the Pharisees' concept of the kingdom of God was different to Jesus' view. They saw it as a specific, identifiable future event. 
But Jesus says, no. It's not something you can point to and say, there it is. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or it's already among you. God's kingship is already a reality. He is reigning now. They're just too blinded to see it and grasp hold of it. Jesus then does something he often does. We saw it with the rich ruler. He answers the question, usually challenging the questioner's perception of things. Then he turns to his disciples and he explains more to them. After all, he's their teacher. But note what he says. He speaks to the Pharisees about the kingdom of God and says it's already here. Then turns to his disciples and says that they will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Here he's talking about something different. He mentions the day or days of the Son of Man several times. In verse 22, verse 24, verse 26, verses 30 and 31. And we'll see he even alludes to it in verses 34 and 35. So therefore I think it's worth a, a brief detour at this point. I've been asked um, several times why Jesus calls him the Son of Man. Oh, himself the Son of Man. In fact, it's a term that occurs 25 term, times in Luke's Gospel alone. It's always as a title of Jesus. It's always in his own words. In Aramaic, a son of man simply means a human being. But Jesus uses the title of the Son of Man specifically for himself. And in verse 25, he even links it to his own suffering and rejection. The term probably derives from Daniel's vision in seven, uh, chapter 7, 13 to 14, which reads, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and the kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He will be given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And one day in the future, all nations and people of every language will worship him, and he will reign over a dominion that will not pass away, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And to make the point, he says we won't miss it either. Don't be fooled by false prophets, he says. It will be suddenly and universally obvious when the Son of Man is revealed. There will be no mistaking his appearance in glory. It will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. So the kingdom of God is a present reality. But compared to the future day of the Son of Man, it's a kind of already, not yet type idea. Jesus then compares the days before his return to the times of Noah and Lot when people carried out their normal activities, unaware of God's impending judgment. But the flood came, and the fire and the sulfur rained down and destroyed them all. Jesus says it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. The word revealed in the Greek is the word apocalypto. It's the same word used for the book of, the, uh, book of Revelation. It's the same word. It's more than just mere visibility. It will be a climactic event no one will be able to ignore. Jesus is calling on those who follow him to show urgency. There will be no scope for gathering possessions. Hold on to your possessions lightly in this world and be prepared to leave it all behind. The passage continues, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. 
Two women will, women will be grinding corn, and one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So in verse 34 and 35, we're given two examples of, of normal life suddenly disrupted. It's not stated where or for what purpose one is taken, whether it's to be rescued from disaster or being, uh, or being taken for destruction, we're not told. The point is that when the Son of Man appears, people will be judged and divided. Where will this happen, the disciples asked. Jesus says it's obvious, just as obvious that there's a carcass by the vultures that gather around it. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is already here and you need to grasp hold of it. But there will be a future appearance of the Son of Man for which many people will be unprepared. No one can know when that revelation will be. But it will be a time of judgment that will break in on normal life. And many will be caught unaware. So let's be clear. Some will be taken to live for eternity in the presence of God while others will spend eternity in hell. He warns us not to get caught out, to grasp hold of God now and hold on to him tightly. And Jesus exhorts us to remember Lot's wife. So who was Lot's wife? She's only mentioned twice in Genesis chapter 19. Once when she's told to leave Sodom and the second time when she dies. We don't even know her name. Although some Jewish writings give her the name Edith. So let's briefly remind ourselves who Lot was and how they ended up in Sodom. Then we can take a look at what happened to them. Genesis chapter 11 details the family line from Shem, one of Noah's sons. There were several generations until we get to Terah, who was the father of Abram. He's not Abraham just yet. Terah had other sons, one of whom was Haran. Haran had a son called Lot. So Lot was Abram's nephew. Are you with me so far? Haran then dies, leaving Lot without a father, and Terah decides the whole family need to move to Canaan. They're a semi-nomadic people, so moving around with their flocks is what they did. But Terah dies before they get to Canaan. In chapter 12, Abram receives his call from God to carry on and go to Canaan. So they set out, Abram, his wife Sarai, and they take Lot with them. Maybe because they didn't have children at that time, but maybe it was just their custom to make sure their family members were looked after. Still with me? In chapter 13, we're told they arrive in the Negev, which is a desert region in the south of modern-day Israel. We're told that Abram was wealthy and had lots of livestock, and that Lot also had flocks and herds. But the land could not support them both, so Abram gave the choice of land to Lot. Lot chose the plain of Jordan and pitched his tents near Sodom, which was in the middle and towards the east of modern-day Israel. Abram carried on and lived in Canaan, which is in the north. However, early on, we're told in Genesis 13, 13, that the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Phew. So skip forward a few chapters to chapter 18. And we see the recently renamed Abraham pleading with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked, he says to God. Will you sweep it away if there are 50 righteous people there? Or 45, or 40, or 30, or 20, or 10? Until God says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. The point being, God knows there'll be no righteous people left in the city when his judgment rains down and Sodom is swept away. 
So turn with me now to Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. And we'll follow the story. The two angels enter Sodom and are greeted by Lot at the city gate. And Lot asks the angels to stay with him at his house. And he protects them from the city's wicked men. In verse 12, the angels tell Lot that the Lord is going to destroy the city and to take his family and leave. Lot tells his sons-in-law, but they just laugh at him. Their mistake, they would be left behind to suffer with the rest. The angels physically lead Lot, his wife, and two daughters out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. It's worth noting that they were not swept away with the wicked. Lot had been hospitable to the angels and protected them from the men of Sodom. Setting him apart from the rest of the people in the city, Lot is not perfect, but he is righteous. One of the angels then says, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. And we pick up the story from verse 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So in our reading from Luke, we're told by Jesus to remember Lot's wife. In scripture, to remember is more than just recollecting something. It's an act of putting yourself back in that time and place to think deeply about the event or what was said and to be encouraged or warned by it. Jesus doesn't want us to be at risk of forgetting. But what what did Lot's wife do that we have to remember her? In verse 26, it's summed up in three words. She looked back. She looked back. At this point, it's fair to say that I've had quite a lot of help from a Mr. J.C. Ryle. I need to credit him. Um, He wrote this book on uh, holiness. Some of you may well have it. I'm sure it's available at Canaan for those. Uh, I thoroughly recommend it. He's a a 19th century evangelical, so the language is a bit sticky sometimes, um, but it's well worth the effort. Anyway, Ryle explains that there was far more in that look than we might first realize. It implied far more than it expressed. It revealed the true character of Lot's wife. It may seem a little thing, but little things often show the state of a person's mind. The apple that Eve ate was a little thing, but it proved that she'd fallen from innocence and become a sinner. She looked back. It told of the disobedience in Lot's wife. The command of the angel was straight and unmistakable. Don't look back. When God speaks plainly, our duty is clear. But Lot's wife refused to obey. She looked back. It told of unbelief in Lot's wife. She seemed to doubt whether God was really going to destroy Sodom. She appeared not to believe there was any danger or any need for such a hasty escape. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. The moment we begin to think we know better than God, we're in great danger. When we cannot see the reason for God's actions, our duty is to hold firm and believe. She looked back. It told of a secret love of the world in Lot's wife. Her heart was in Sodom. And her eye turned to the place where her treasure was. 
And this was the crowning point of her sin. Her desire was for Sodom, for the world she had left behind. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. You cannot love the world and love God. Now Lot's wife was a favored woman. She had a godly man for a husband. She had Abraham, the father of the faithful, as her uncle. The faith of these two righteous men would have been known to her. She would have known about the God they served. And when the angels came to Sodom, she was one of the few they helped escape. However, despite all this, she died unbelieving and in love with the world. You can't be saved by being related to someone who's righteous or godly. She was never really brought into a state of obedience to God. Her affections were never really on the things above. The world was in her heart and her heart was for the world. In this state she lived and in this state she died. Hebrews 10 verse 38, 39 says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we, knew, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This story serves to warn those who have been saved against the danger of falling back into worldliness and sin and into judgment. Jesus says, do not be one of those people. Remember Lot's wife. So in our reading from Luke, Jesus is warning us not to be unprepared. So much can happen in life that we can, uh, cannot prepare for. But the coming of the Son of Man is one event that we can be ready for. Jesus warns us not to take, uh, put off taking action. We do not know when the Son of Man will be, be revealed in glory. So he urges us to be ready. Now if you're someone listening to this who knows nothing about the love of God. If you're without a spiritual life then Jesus is saying time is slipping away. Death and judgment are getting nearer to us all. It's time to wake up before it's too late. Awake and arise from the dead and live for God. Turn to him who is sitting at the right hand of God to be your savior and friend. Turn your eyes to Christ. Do not talk about it or mean to do it or hope to do it sometime. Seek Christ and live. But if you're someone listening to this who's truly growing in their relationship with God, please don't disregard this message. Jesus addressed his warning to his disciples, those who loved him. Jesus says, go forward, go on. We can never have too much humility, too much faith in Christ, too much holiness, too much charity, too much doing good to others. Let go of the worldly things behind and keep moving forwards. There is no danger in any of us becoming too good or to go too far in faith. In serving Christ, there can be no extremes. And if you're someone listening to this who ought to know something of the love of God, you come to church, you listen to the gospel, but you've made little or no progress since you were first converted, you come to the Lord's table in memory of Jesus' body and blood, but you remain unsaved. You look back to the world. And a court between the two. If you're one of these people, you're just like Lot's wife. Almost saved, but not quite. And Jesus is saying it's high time to examine yourself. In Luke 9.62, Jesus says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus warns us in our reading. And we mustn't be like Lot's sons and think he's joking. We mustn't move towards a false faith where we put off talk of judgment and hell because it makes us uncomfortable. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus is coming back to judge every man, woman and child and his judgment will be certain, just and inescapable. Listen to Jesus' warning today and remember it. He's not asking us to remember an Abraham or an Isaac or a Ruth. He singles out a soul who's lost forever. Remember Lot's wife. He's thinking about the awful state of unreadiness many will find themselves in. The coming of the day of the Son of Man is on his mind. Remember Lot's wife. One day you'll have to leave this world and stand before a holy God. A day will come when you must have a reckoning with God. You cannot put it off forever. And you'll find that there's a love in God towards sinners which is unspeakable and unsearchable. But it's for those who hear Christ's voice and follow him. Please, whatever state you find yourself in now, hear the voice of Christ Jesus today and remember Lot's wife.